0: Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto.
1: And I'm Cameron Howard.
0: And joining us today is Diane Jacobson.
2: Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm so glad you're
0: here <laughs> with us. Uh, Diane uh, taught here at the seminary, is now leading the the Book of Faith initiative in the LCA, and just a great mm-hmm. colleague, and so glad you could join us today.
2: It is a delight to be here.
1: So... Diane, the five most interesting women you may have never heard of um, h- how did you
2: go about compiling this list? What makes the women in the Bible interesting? Well, for the twenty eight years I taught at Luther Seminary, I taught a course called Harlots and Heroines, which was my course on women in the Old Testament, though I did sneak into the New Testament sometimes. Is that allowed? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, every once in a while Old Testament people talk about the New Testament. And um, I love the women, and they usually have a bad rep because we think that women in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament sometimes has a questionable attitude towards women, wouldn't be interesting or help us think about the faith or things like that. And they are on. it's exactly the opposite. They're fascinating and often really helpful for us to think about the life of faith.
0: Though we often don't notice them, it seems like. I mean, some of these yeah. are characters that maybe some of our, hear- our listeners haven't really right. thought a lot about. Because right. we think about Moses and Abraham and right. these big figures. But I think your your article makes a really great case that it's sometimes the seemingly minor characters that actually carry a lot of the weight or teach us something so much deeper that we might miss if we don't pay attention to them.
2: Absolutely. It's often the minor characters, though mm-hmm. it is worth noting that in the ancestral stories in Genesis, right. half the stories are about women. Right. right. We simply don't notice don't no- them. Knows them. Yeah. Right. So
1: y- number one on the list, Hagar, or Hagar. <laughs> We're going to go with the English. Or
2: the, um, Hagar, mother of Ishmael. What makes her so interesting? I think she is absolutely one of the most interesting uh Characters, not just women, but important mm-hmm. figures in the Old Testament. Um, and we think we shouldn't notice her because we think that the story goes with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that mm-hmm. Ishmael is not important. Our Muslim brothers and sisters ha- would question that. Of course. Um, yeah. But her role and the strength of her character, the way you know, as as I said, she names God. Um, she, just in case we are tempted to think the Old Testament thinks foreigners are bad, right. right. here's this figure that we begin with that says, no, actually it's Abraham and Sarah who are the questionable figures in this story. Yeah, there's a sense and, that
0: even from the very beginning, the boundaries of belonging are, are already being pushed.
2: Absolutely. And it's
0: something that God comes alongside and kind of provides a protection to Hagar and Ishmael right. in a really powerful way. And Hagar kind of also then has this interaction with God that's unique and particular to her.
2: Absolutely. And then I, I do think it's fabulous when you think of Genesis 22, which the Akedah and uh, Abraham's sacrifice near sacrifice of Isaac, and that's always presented as the uh, person of faith, hmm. which is understandable. Mm-hmm. It goes through both uh, testaments. But here's Hagar, who refuses to look on the death of her child. Hmm. And Hagar also shows her a well and Mm -hmm. saves—I mean, God also shows her a well and saves her. And so that refusing to look on the death of your child is also held up as faithful, and I think that's astonishing.
1: And there's a challenge in both of these stories to God, God who sends her back to a life that is um, about— oppression. I mean, as a servant, as a second wife, I mean, there's not consent (laughs) that we can imagine in this relationship. And so for her to exhibit this defiance and this power makes a wonderful sort of dialectic Mm -hmm. in the story about, you know, on the one hand, there are things that we you know, may find very questionable or objectionable. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, she asserts power mm-hmm. in ways that many men do not. I mean, this naming force, but is even so that important. going
2: back, that's what Elijah has to do. That's mm. what Jesus has to do. Mm. So the going back to the life that is not easy because mm. that is what you are called to do there. She's also a model. For yeah. Them. Yeah. And
0: I think too. And I think often this story maybe is overlooked because it's, I think it makes us really uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. some of these issues of control and power and consent and all that. Um, but especially among African American women, this experience of, 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 of you know, of slavery, of being second class citizens in a particular household, that there is this resonance with this story. That this, um, you know, these set of historical experiences that their, you know, ancestors experienced just you know a few hundred yeah, years absolutely. ago or fifty years ago, are something that is it isn't new. And it's mm-hmm. something that where God has always He's been there, even in those moments of, mm-hmm. of deepest, darkest aggression. I
2: actually remember um, teaching out at the GTU with a woman who worked with the young girls who were taken basically into sexual slavery. And then she worked with them. This was a nun. And uh, this is a, one of those stories that can help people come to grips with what's happened to right.
0: them. And then we have... Shifra and Pua.
2: Shifra and Pua.
0: Tell us about them, yeah.
2: Well, my dog's name is Shifra because Pua is a really (laughs) bad name for a dog. (laughs) Um, You're doing that dog to failure to call it Pua. Yes. Um, Shifra and Pua are the midwives who uh, are the first midwives to save the children from death at the beginning of Exodus. And one of the things I love about them is you cannot tell from the Hebrew text whether they are Hebrew Mm. midwives. Right. Or Egyptian midwives. I'm kind of inclined to think they're Egyptian midwives, but that's my reading, and mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it, you don't have to do it that way. Um, but they, they refused to obey Pharaoh, either as slaves or as Egyptians. They refused to obey uh, Pharaoh, and then it says they feared God, and then he gave them houses. And one of the really fun Hebrew things is the word for houses is Sounds like daughters, oh okay. and right. so he gave them houses, he gave them slash daughters. It's not the same word at all, <laughs> but and it's daughters that the Pharaoh thinks he doesn't have to kill. He says, throw right. the sons in the right. sea right. It's the daughters who come back, including his own. Interesting who get them in the end. Yeah. Right. And I love that they play on what may
1: be some sort of insult or prejudice or at least some sense of difference right whether well, the Hebrew women right. are yeah. not like other women, right? <laughs> right. They're more vigorous and they, they are this is the way they, they give
2: they, life. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so that it's in that, you know, in that sense of difference and otherness that this um, saving
2: act. Occurs. There's this wonderful thing that I learned from Reverend Childs' book um, that Beginning with Augustine and others this this story is thought of as highly questionable because the midwives lie oh, well. and is lying okay. Mm. <laughs> we moderns never even notice that they lie because we don't think about this anymore, but lying you know is it ever okay to lie? and that's that trickster piece right uh, that it it's not just okay, it is the righteous thing to do, and the first one of the and you know of those writers that I know of who said no lying in this case was good was luther <laughs> oh interesting always I mean, go back to him right yeah yeah well and, I mean, you know it's a bias here I am with my two non-lutheran colleagues <laughs> but,
0: but there is a sense right and I think we see this in the hebrew scriptures quite a bit in the new testament as well the sense in which when you're powerless sometimes lying is the mm-hmm. only weapon you have left and exactly. in the situation where that what are they what else are they going to do they can't go uh, to the emperor and say, please let us do this. The emperor's going to say, no, uh, you know, okay. I've already made up my mind. They can't go do a rally. They can't go vote out the emperor. Uh-huh. There's no voting involved. So that the weapons that they have to do God's work to us in positions of power looks underhanded, but it's actually all that they have left.
1: It makes me think of Tamar in Genesis 38. So another woman, not on this list, but uh, who, you know, well, we'll have to instruct our listeners to go read Genesis 38, but she basically um, disguises herself as a prostitute and by the end of the story um, is declared righteous um, because because her... um, Father in law has sort of denied her the and her his sons the um, obligations of levirate marriage and oh. so um, yeah this disguising lying um, is what comes out you know to be the righteous thing and to do. I think that
2: is really hard for some of us to get that often it's the women because they are often the ones without power in the text who are the ones who do what might seem like questionable behavior but they do it in service of the faith and in service of the people and you watch this happen and it's very disconcerting to those of us who basically are powerful uh to watch the powerless uh be approved of by god for their use of guile
0: Which might be an interesting lesson for us today. Are there people in our midst today calling us to do the right thing, but their methods to us seem yeah, yeah. Uh, out of bounds? Right. But they, they might still be right in the end. And actually, some of these issues come up then with the third woman you list here, Rahab, woman of Jericho. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about
2: Rahab. Well, Rahab is, I mean, she's one of these figures who starts out being named as a prostitute, and you think, oh, this is going to be a problem because we all know prostitution is highly questionable. But that's never the issue. What she does is takes the spies in, of uh, the Israelite spies, and protects them again from the powerful who are after them because she recognizes God's hand in this. And uh, then she does this remarkable litany of all the things God has done for the people of Israel, bringing them out of slavery and whatever, and it's that litany. It's one of the first ones in Scripture. So she is another one of these righteous foreigners who has faith in God. Right.
1: And and she's a prostitute. And there are a lot of women. I mean, again, Genesis 38, a lot of times when we hear um, prostitutes um, sort of being these Women characters in the Bible who um, show themselves to be righteous, either a, apart from uh, their profession or because of or despite of what? What's up with uh,
2: all these wow. prostitutes <laughs> in is the actually Old Testament? <laughs> why I named my course "Harlots and Heroines," and it comes after the genealogy in Matthew. Mm -hmm. where the women who are named, and you're always sort of surprised that there are any women who are named, of course Mm -hmm. it goes to Mary, whose sexual behavior is at issue. And so these other women who are named, although Bathsheba isn't named, Mm -hmm. um, but (laughs) she's alluded to, um, uh, these other women who are named, you could, if you just had a knee-jerk reaction, say, oh, those are prostitutes, we don't have to pay any attention. But they become... The heroines of the faith. Um, Again, noted by Luther, but I think also noted by Calvin, I just want to (laughs) say. Well,
1: tell us about Oxha because boy, that's just a blip—a little blip
0: <laughs>
2: in Judges. Yeah. Uh, I had, but an
0: important blip. It's uh, yeah, yes, the case, yeah.
2: yeah. I had to put in a woman that really nobody no, would ever. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: This is this OXA. is trivial pursuit. Right, right. Here.
2: Yeah, she's the one. AXA. She's mentioned in Judges one, and she's the daughter of Caleb and the wife of Othniel. When when Caleb when Othniel does this heroic winning property for uh, for Caleb. Caleb gives oxa um, his daughter, in marriage uh, to Othniel. And instead of just never hearing about her again, and she's just this object that's given, mm-hmm. she says, oh, give me property. I want these springs. Mm-hmm. And he does. <laughs> 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 he gives her property. So her inheriting property, it's so... You could skip this because it's just a few verses and mm-hmm. who cares. Mm-hmm. But... It's so shocking um that he does this. And for me it's a sign. I, I think the women and judges are hugely important mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. they represent Israel. And kind when, of the
0: barometer of what's going on in the uh, whole story and in, in are, both kind of uh positive and tragic ways. Right.
2: So so it begins when Israel's faithful and obedient, then the women are strong. Deborah and Gile and mm-hmm. and Aksha and and then as leadership, as judgeship, as charismatic leadership becomes corrupt, mm-hmm. the women start get lo- victimized.
0: And start losing names, right. and victimized in just more and more horrific ways right. by the end.
2: And, and finally are cut into 12 pieces and mm-hmm. sent out. So you know mm-hmm. they represent mm-hmm. Israel. When uh, there is no law in the land, and no king in the land, and everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And so it's a. The antic, anecdote to the book of Judges is the book of Ruth, where the women bring Israel back to herself.
1: Again, a foreign woman. Ruth, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Moabite. The Moabite, um, you know, reviled yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right,
2: yeah.
1: the Pentateuch, and then to be an ancestor of David and yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. We're back to her genealogy.
0: Yeah. So then our last woman, Tamar. There's a couple tamar's in the in yeah the yeah history. you're, this one. you're right. Genesis 38 30, about the right. other one but this one's the daughter of King David, sister of Amnon and Absalom.
2: Yeah, she's just a fabulous figure, and again, it's one of those ones that you think of at first, and you think, I, "I'm not going to read this story. This story is about rape. I don't like stories about rape." But I, it doesn't say rape is good. It says rape is bad, and so then we read it to learn and and you learn that she is the victim but she doesn't sit silent she speaks and she speaks the law to her rapist and says such a thing is not done in Israel you know don't do this and the men around her certainly her rapist even her brother who wants to protect her and hides her away in his house and silences her that's not Entirely by them, but David, who ignores her and 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 favors her rapist, um, and war and havoc end up being the result of not listening to this woman.
1: And I, I think that this story reminds us that when we read the Bible, we're not simply reading the Bible to figure out how to act or even how not to act that there is there are these complicated stories that we need to read carefully and sort of understand these characters and that it's not simply all cut and dry you know I'm just going to look up in my answer book here how Mm -hmm. I need to act in this particular situation but that these are stories that bear remarkable um, truths and commentaries on humanity and our relationship with God that require some Patience and some, and extent.
2: also this sort of astonishing thing that you can have a story about King David. I mean, we know about Bathsheba, but it's actually most of the stories about women in David's lives um, that show him not to be an entirely honorable figure. King David—that's uh, an amazing thing about Scripture that you can take your hero and say, God even uses such as these
0: these texts have this kind of this view that's unflinching. It looks at the whole uh, spread of human activity and looks at it in all its positive ways and all its tragic ways and says, God is here in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think the mistake we often make is that we'll, the the stuff that makes us uncomfortable, we stop reading and we just assume then the Bible's all light and uh, all the good stuff, but it's got all the, all the, the, the tragedy of human life and looks at it and says, even here, we have to think about what God has to do with this, because we can't shut our eyes to these realities, whether it's in the Bible, or in our own lives. Um, that may be one of the things that these five women and others do is that they they force us to look at the reality of this world and ask, um, are we abiding by what God has called us to do? Yeah, um, that they maybe like we we're talking about earlier in Judges that there is uh, the treatment of this women These women are bar- barometers mm-hmm. for whether or not we're walking in God's paths or not.
1: Absolutely. So Diane,
2: who was number six? Oh my list. gosh. I we don't should. know. We could just add there's one more. Six, I, I six keep, A, B, C, I, of course B C. I, kept, <laughs> I kept actually in the list increasing the numbers so that if right. you look, there's so many more women than, than five already. <laughs> sure, so I, sure. Uh, she sure already fudged
0: it. Uh, yeah, I fudged right. it entirely. <laughs> but yeah, who's missing though? Who would you add? Who
2: oh is? gosh, you know, I mean, some of the women that you care about, like Ruth and Naomi, uh, uh, so, those women are so terribly important. All the matriarchs mm-hmm. are so terribly important. Esther, and then, of course, um, help me, uh, the Queen. Queen. Uh, Vashti? R- yeah.
1: Hey, yep. And, in, and Esther. Yeah. yeah.
2: She's just great. Vashti is fabulous. Um, and then symbolic women like uh, the women in Proverbs. I mean, I always Mm -hmm. think about the women in Proverbs, and these are not named women, and they aren't narrative women. But Mm -hmm. woman wisdom is one Mm -hmm. of the women I think about a lot.
0: Yeah. Who would you add, Cameron? Who's missing? I'd put uh,
1: Jael from Judges. Mm -hmm. Um, She's remarkable in that she uh, is um, basically in a position where she is going to be raped by Sisera and instead drives a tent peg through his temple. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a- ironic,
2: right? <laughs> oh yeah. There's just between uh, right. his feet. It says, <laughs> yes, let, yeah. let the reader understand. Yeah. So, <laughs>
1: So, um, I mean, there are many remarkable things. I mean, that story, all, all of it is disturbing in the way that many stories in Judges are, but that's here we're toward the front end of Judges where the women are um, more empowered um, and is, she's able to, to be a warrior like Deborah is able to be a warrior. And um, I think that pushes against it. a lot of the pictures we have of biblical womanhood. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate mm-hmm. that challenge.
0: Yeah. And I think I would just add one New Testament woman, at least, in the, in okay. the mix. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, we, we have to. Allowed, yeah. <laughs> somebody we don't often think about is Phoebe, I think. Oh, um, no, yeah. So that we have this massive letter that Paul writes to the Roman church, and they don't have email, they don't have the postal service, so somebody has to send it, and somebody, they don't have copy machines, so somebody has to read it. And after you read all of Romans, you realize you have a lot of questions to ask, oh. and somebody has to answer those questions. So it's Phoebe who carries this letter um, in, in a dangerous world, reads the letter, and it's the first interpreter of Paul's most important letter to us. Wow. I think there's a real power in that as well. That's fabulous. Um, But thanks, Sam. This has been a really fascinating conversation. And I I just have to say that
2: so many of these stories we're talking about are not in the lectionary. Mm -hmm. Uh And so if you're going to do these in your congregations or wherever you do this, you have to make an effort. And um, my experience is, is when you do and you have conversations around these women, the discussions are remarkable, So, but you have to do it outside the lectionary. Yeah, And do it together. Because yes, do it together.
1: They can be some scary stories. Absolutely.
0: We're alone. Thanks, Diane. Great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.